First, so um, here's a quick one out of Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Pretty simple. Well, today is the last um, in a short series that we've been talking about and um, called Soul Detox. And the topic today is, 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 is called The Seduced Soul. And um, I think, you know, sometimes we, you know, we, I do different messages. And I want to tell you, sometimes messages... Um, sometimes the message, the things that we need to hear the most are the most difficult for us to hear sometimes. And I kind of feel like today, not that there's this rampant problem about seduction, we'll talk about what that means in a few minutes, um, but, uh, but I think that today is in the category of one of the types of messages that might be harder for us to hear. Um, not because um, God's going to thrash on us, no, not, not, not at all, but just we just don't see it sometimes in the mirror. We just do not see this topic in the mirror. And I think so. Sometimes, you know, this, this message might be one of those ones where it's just easy to brush it off. Go, yeah, yeah, not me. Or just to say, yeah, okay, good message, which I know you'll say. Um, but, but let's just go on with our day now. Um, just, you know. So I want to start out really by asking you to s- sincerely um, ask God. If there isn't something in all of this that he would speak to you as we go over this over the next half hour or so, because this is a weighty and an important topic. I think especially in our country today with where we go and uh, on the topic of is God's hand of favor upon our country? And if it is, is he withdrawing that hand of favor? And I'm not going to turn this into a political diatribe. I just want you to look at this topic spiritually and go, if this is possible, why would it be? And I'd like to say as a personal comment, you know, I really enjoy the times when I'm studying to prepare to teach. I mean, I, I enjoy this part too. I enjoy being with you. But sometimes it's, it's a pull. This hasn't been so much a difficulty to come up with what, what I think the Lord wants to say so much as getting to this moment, because just, just things that have been go- going on, um, I've had a really great week with my family and so forth. I was supposed to be on jury duty this week, and that got moved out for a couple of weeks. And, um, you know, I don't know, what, I don't know if they'll pick me for jury duty. They'll say, you're a Christian now. You can't be a... I don't know if they'll do that or not. <laughs> I don't know. I hope, you know, I've been several times, and I've never sat on a jury, and I'm thinking, oh, it'd be kind of fun, um, you know. But, I, but that's... That's really disruptive to a schedule. I don't know if it would be to you. Block out a week, which for me is hard because, you know, you know it's kind of like I have a busy life just like you. And to have things scheduled, have them say, just in case. Now call us at night and then tomorrow we'll let you know if you show up or not. Hey, I got a life and there's people that I minister to and they got a life and there's things going on in their lives and, you know, stuff comes up that's not. So, and then, and I just, just this morning even, um, by the time I get to prepare the message or I'm getting ready to, to teach, I've spent a lot of time on this message before now, and yet I'm going through it and I'm just having a hard time this morning. So I really sense that there is resistance, resistance to hearing, for, for these words to come off of this pulpit today. So I want to say to you, uh, please be available to what the Holy Spirit might say. And I want to start with prayer good place. Lord, I pray today that your spirit would just have free reign in our hearts. I ask for free reign in my own heart, Lord, and in every heart in this room and every heart that hears this, that Lord, we would be open to your loving conviction as it draws us closer to you, Lord. (laughs) 
<laughs> no distraction there. And God, <laughs> I just thank you that just you're closer than a brother and closer than a friend and that you love us like crazy. So Lord, if there's anything that would be of the flesh that would come out in the next little season, Lord, just filter that. But Lord, I just pray that your loving truth would penetrate deeply into our souls because you love us like you do. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. My family's at a disadvantage because they all know that they're fodder for sermons, that their stories of failure and my failures are going to end up up here. And um, so, but I'm going to tell you a couple stories today that are not my family. I told them I was going to give them a week off. And so a couple of these stories come from other places that, um, that I've dug up. And here's one that I'd heard from this, this pastor and was on a different topic, but I thought so relevant. This, this fellow had a, his, he lived in Oklahoma and uh, this pastor, and he had his two-year-old son almost two-year-old son who was out on the front porch and he heard him giggling and making a big fuss one day and um, he went out there and this little, this little two-year-old boy just loved his rattles, loved his toys, you know, make the noise and he hears, he hears this woo-woo giggling going on on the porch. So he thought, you know, what's, that sounds pretty animated, pretty exciting. I'm going to go see what's all, what that's all about. He gets out there and he says to little Stephen, you know, hey, Stephen, what's going on? You know, you talk, how you talk, you talk funny to two-year-olds. Have you noticed that? You don't talk normal. Hey, Stevie, what's going on? You know, and I've got a granddaughter and I'm learning that whole thing. You give up all your pride when you have a granddaughter. I don't care what it looks like if she smiles. I don't care. I just don't care. <laughs> Laugh at me if you want. At least she's not a cat. So, <laughs> oh my! I mean, yesterday there was a big convention in Minneapolis. Kitty Gold Awards and great videos. So anyway, props to cat lovers. So um, anyway, so. Stevie, what's going on, little Stevie? He goes, oh, my little friend, you know, my little friend. Dad looks down, and there, coiled up on the porch next to him is a rattlesnake. Doing this. And, of course, I don't know what you would think as a parent to look down and see your two-year-old next to a coiled-up rattling rattlesnake. That can't be good, right? I mean, coiled up, you get the picture Here's this venomous, deadly threat that's enticing his son because his son loves rattles. Innocent enough. And I, I just was thinking about how this little child was, in, was, was somehow seduced into loving something that was so dangerous to him. And that's kind of where we're going to go today because the rea- reality is that you and I are very easily seduced into things that are sometimes even pursuing things that are dangerous to us. And so today I want to talk about the sin of idolatry. The sin of idolatry. If you missed the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about detoxing our souls and we've kind of laid some groundwork. We've said, we're not a body with a soul, but instead, we're a soul with a body. And that's important because when this body dies which it's doing, you know. When this body dies, I'm going to continue to live somewhere, and so will you. You're going to continue to live somewhere. And so today I want to talk about detoxing um, from the idols that seduce us so subtly. Scripture tells us this, and it's in the very first of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verses 3 and 4. Here's the very first one that God, God brings up. He says, you shall have no other gods before me, 
You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything, nothing at all in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. So we're not supposed to make an idol for ourselves in the form of anything. And why this, you know, why is it that, that our souls are so vulnerable to worshiping and being seduced by idols? I believe it's because our souls are created to connect with, to worship the one true and living God. I really believe that's why we were created. And so we're worshipers. Worship isn't something that we do. Worship, worship is something we were created to be worshipers. We were created to be that. And anytime our souls are filled with anything instead of God, our souls are drawn to and seduced by those counterfeits. They're drawn there and they're seduced there. That's why people can have you know, their lives so full of so many things, yet they, they're empty on the inside. You've probably seen people, or maybe you are, you know, because there are, the things of this world cannot satisfy a soul that was created to be satisfied by the one true and living God. The stuff of the world will not satisfy you because you were engineered from the beginning of time to be satisfied by something different, by one true and living God. That's why God said, don't ever have any other gods before me. In fact, I love the way he says it in Deuteronomy 4. He says, so do not corrupt yourselves by making an idol in any form. And then he's got this big long list that I I love. You know, it really speaks to our culture today. Look for the things that are listed here. So uh, whether of of a man or a woman, an animal on the ground, a bird in the sky, an animal that scurries along the ground, like a gopher, or a fish... A fish in the deepest sea, and when you look up into the sky and the sea, the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the forces of heaven, let's read this last part together. Don't be seduced into worshiping them. Now, that's an amazing sentence because it says, don't be seduced. We don't think we are. And God's warning, don't get seduced because it's enticing you. These things are drawing after you. And most of us us are never going to choose to worship a small animal that scurries on the ground. We're not. That's silly, right? We aren't going to do that. We're we're not going to say, oh, star in the sky, I bow down to you because you look like an archer, right? Okay, have you ever looked at the Zodiac pictures? Look up in the sky. Do you see any similarities? No. Why would you worship the formations of stars? They're beautiful. Worship the creator of them. Instead, we're actually seduced into worshiping something that is not the one true God, though. Because when we look at the Old Testament idolatry, it looks pathetically stupid to us. We look at them building something like a golden calf and go, (laughs) what are they thinking? They melt their earrings and then they worship it because it looks like a calf. Come on. I mean... Really, you've read that and you thought, come on, you have. What what are these people thinking? What are they drinking? What are they smoking? What is going on here? Because we think, you know, that's dumber than a sack of hammers. Might as well worship the hammers. Think about the collective intelligence in that sack. Worship that. It's the same as worshiping a calf. Now, I know some of you guys have really nice hammers, okay? That's okay. That's okay, all right? That's not what I'm talking about. But we're not going to, most of us are not going to worship a golden calf or some kind of a pole or a little figurine or a star in the sky 
And we think, I'd never worship those kinds of things. In fact, we think that whole concept of worshiping an idol is kind of irrelevant in our culture today. We just, we just wouldn't do that. We just don't battle with the sin of idolatry. And the reason that we don't recognize it is because we're seduced into it. And it's really hard to see idolatry in the mirror. It's really, really hard. I'll give you an example. I heard this, um, th- about this pastor who went to India and he, and he uh, visited this little remote village and he sees this woman there literally sacrificing chickens on an altar to some god. And he's thinking, wow, here it is in the flesh. I mean, I've heard of it, I've read about it, but there it is, it's going on. And she's doing this thing. Well, she speaks English, he strikes up a conversation with her. And in the conversation, you know, he's obviously he's not denigrating what she's doing, although in his mind he's thinking, this is crazy, what's, you know, this, you're lost. And uh, he starts talking with her, and she's actually, he finds out, she's actually visited the United States of America. Oh, wow, cool. My country, that's where I'm from. How did you like it? Oh, I hated it. It's the most disgusting place I've ever been. The entire country, you're all so idolatrous there. Well, what do you mean? We're all, he's thinking, okay, wait a second. Chicken, blood, altars, idols. What are you talking about? It just doesn't make sense. She says, well, it's everywhere. For one thing, and she starts going down this list. He's pressing. Um, You know, you worship your taste buds. Everything is about food. You eat, 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 and most of you are fat. And she's saying these things to him. I'm thinking, shut up, lady. Maybe she's not talking about me. But you talk about it. You dream about it. There's a restaurant in every corner. There are mega stores with food, and you can have every type and every variety. You have TV networks that all they do is spend their time talking. Food, 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 food. And on the ones that are not the food channel, there's still people showing you in their shows food everywhere. You worship your taste buds in your country. Here And the, and the whole sports thing. You build these mega million dollar sports complexes. Way to go, Huskies. And you... <laughs> And you, then you put on somebody else's shirt and cheer like you can catch the ball. And you hoop and you holler and you go crazy. And it's idolatry. Or in your homes, you have this thing. You put on the wall and you plug it in. And you put your whole family around it. You put all your chairs around there. And as a family, you worship it for hours every night. <laughs> and you know when I heard this story... I thought about, you know, the irony of it. It's so obvious. But it, the truth is that we can't see what's idolatry in our own lives. Scripture says that a man does what's right in his own mind. We are already doing the, what we think is right. So we don't see it. It's a blind spot. Probably. It's probably a blind spot. And I think there's, there's just times that without even knowing it, we lift things above God in our own heart and we've got a seduced soul. Jesus said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul in Matthew 26? If that's going on, it's time for a little bit of soul detox. That's why we're on this topic today. And so um, we're going to talk about some weighty stuff here. And I have just been praying like crazy that the spirit of God would do something that's in us. Not that you are just a bunch of idolatrous people. 
Maybe, maybe. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's present in it. I'm, it's present in my life. I'm sure it's present in your life too. But you circulate with people. And your role in part in this world is to be salt and light to people around you. A little bit of salt and a lot of light. We get that wrong. Not a little bit of light and a lot of salt, right? There's a difference. Salt and light. Okay, so in the right proportion. So I want to talk about how do we dethrone the false idols that are in our soul and those things that have seduced our souls. And the first and most obvious thing that we need to do is we have to identify the idols of our souls. What have we elevated to some sort of supreme place or what ranks higher in our lives than the one true God? In Psalm 24, 3 and 4 asks the question, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? In other words, who can be in his presence? Who may stand in his holy place? Here comes the answer. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol. One who doesn't lift up his soul to an idol. Now here's the challenge, because what we're going to talk about is it's very, very easy to justify, to rationalize, to, to come up with reasons and excuses for why our special circumstances is an exception and not an idol. <laughs> that's what I do. I mean, that's, what, that's human nature. Now, before you go overboard, I want to say that, you know, we can have interests and we can have hobbies and they're not idols necessarily, you know. But I'm guessing that in almost all of our hearts, there are some areas where things have become so important to us that they're actually tipped on the wrong side of the line and they're maybe a bit dangerous or maybe even very dangerous and we don't even realize it. So what I want to do is give you three different areas to look at and examine in your lives and say, am I idolizing something? Um, And what I want to encourage you to do is to look at these three areas. One, how do you spend your time? Two, how do you spend your money? And three, what do you talk about? What's your conversation like? If you find that the majority of your time is always focused on the same kind of thing, like, for example, if you look at your bank account and you realize um, I'm spending a lot of money on a certain kind of thing, it's going in a certain direction, and I'm not spending, I'm putting very little into God or helping people, but it's all going to this one thing. Or if you find yourself in a conversation and it's always drifts to this favorite hobby and that's all it is and it rarely intersects or, or, or God comes up it could be that um, something has become more important to you than it should be and because if God's really important to you your conversation is going to drift towards God we talk about the things that are important to us and if it's always drifting away from God to something else that might be worth paying attention to I don't know what it might be for you I mean for some people, we're, they're seduced into almost worshiping their homes, our homes. I mean, we, there are, we just, everything's got to be just right. It's, you know, we want to be the best one on the block, the house of the month, the yard's going to be perfect, don't walk on the floor, let's put plastic over the, you know. I mean, that's extreme, but it's present. I mean, there are, there are some, you know, it could, it, could be, it could be our homes. It can be our image, you know, is the tan just right? Is the look just right? How about the hair? Is it just perfect? The shoes match the purse. Why? No, I mean, guys, that wouldn't be a guy thing. <laughs> and so on. I mean, I mean, Lisa and I were at a family reunion a couple of Saturdays ago, and, and um, this um, gal comes up to Lisa. Oh, I'm so excited to see you. And a big hug, you know, and they're the same age. 
And this other woman was, is pretty. And, um, but I don't know how to describe this except to say her tan was perfect. And she was, she probably had a processed tan like that for a long time. And her comment to Lisa was, I'm sorry to point, th- point this out to you, honey, but in front of everybody. But she said, your skin looks so good. You don't have wrinkles. And I'm thinking, the tanning bed did that to you for 30 years. <laughs> not, not her. <laughs> okay, you get my point. I mean, this, this was so important to her. She couldn't see it. She was shocked to see someone her, her exact age, almost to the day. And um, so, or, or for some of us, it can be our children. <laughs> I'm working on that. <laughs> Or our cats. <laughs> Enough on cats today. I try to keep that to once every Sunday. So, but when our, kid, when our entire life revolves around our children, certainly they're important. And there are seasons when they legitimately need you a lot. And that changes in their different seasons. But you know what I'm talking about? When they become the center of your life, instead of God becoming the center of your life. Remember, we talked about this before. God is your number one. Your spouse is your number two. Your kids are your number three. And we sometimes elevate them to a place. And if you don't know God as your number one, with a growing personal intimacy, you're not in any place to give those kids what they need so that they can become what they're supposed to become unless you're grounded with the Lord. You become a better parent if your relationship with God is is right is right. And I, I think for some people, you know, it could even be something as silly as their online identity, you know. I mean, wow, hey, I put something on Facebook and I got 14 likes. I mean, that's pretty good. That's more than I've ever gotten. But, um, you know, or it could be a hobby. I mean, I know there are people, I mean, this, I don't need to even say this here because you're in church, but for some people, they've got their hobby, and they do it, and they've got their Saturday thing, and nothing ever comes in the way of their Saturday thing. Then they've been doing it faithfully and never missed a Saturday for decades. And then sometimes it's, well, what about church? And, well, oh, I'll, if I can make it. It's just the, the priorities, the priorities. One is elevated above God. And, you know, maybe this posture, maybe, maybe your arms are getting into this posture where you do this a lot. And you're sitting with three other people at Applebee's and nobody's looking at each other and talking to each other except by way of the texts that are going across the table. What are you going to have? I think I'm going to have the chicken. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think it could be that you can become, have a dysfunctional relationship with your phone. <laughs> Or maybe it's success in a career or wealth. We could go on and on and on. I'm asking you to be really honest with the Lord and with yourself. And even to go beyond this half hour today and to sit down with your spouse or your mentor or your close friends and say, hey, help me see stuff that I can't see in my own life. What am I putting ahead of God? And then to actually name your idol, your idols. I mean, I can be transparent with you about some of mine. I, I can't be transparent with, with you about all of them because I'm self-conscious. But I can tell you about a couple. I mean, I struggled with one for a long time, and, and it had to do with the opinions of people. 
I wanted people, I wanted everybody to like me. And I still want everybody to like me. But it's not, it's not an idol to me like it was at one point. You know, it's like, hey, hey, am I a good pastor? Did I do well? Was that wise? You know, and I would look for people around me to build me up. And, and um, I think that's natural and normal for people to want affirmation from people around them. But I started realizing somewhere along the way, fairly early on, it's like God pulled me through enough little knot holes teaching me this. That's an image that if you've been pulled through a knot hole by a loving God, you know what that means. And if you haven't, God bless you, you will. So, uh, so I, I, there, was, there are points where I realize not everybody's going to like me. In fact, in ministry, you can't get everybody to like you. There will be times you say things and the gospel is offensive to some people. Or the failures of humankind, insensitivities that should come from a pulpit and sometimes there's too much bluntness. And when that happens from here, please forgive me, that's not my heart. But my goal here isn't to make you like me. My goal here is to lead you in what the word of God teaches. To lead you into things that make a difference. I mean, I... I, I I remember, and I think I might have talked to you about this before, where I came to a realization that the loving thing is to help people, whether they like you or not. And there was a fellow that was actually in this church who um, wanted to come to the church. He was very interested in it. He was checking things out. They were attending, he and his family. And, and um, they, were, they had been Christians for a long time and you know, would have invested themselves in ministry and with their ties and all those kinds of things. And he had some very strong opinions about things about the church that I just dis- disagreed with. They were issues of style or philosophy. They weren't the word of God, but he felt so strongly about them. And I said, look, I'm really sorry, but you're going to continually be frustrated as will I, because you have expectations that I won't meet. Let me help you find a church where you're going to be happy. And it wasn't me chasing the guy away. But he's happy now, and so am I. <laughs> and he didn't like me. And it's okay. It's okay. I mean, that, so, so I knew that the Lord had to dethrone this idol that I had, that I just, you know, people's opinions of me. Another one was this false god I'll call security, you know. You know I'll, it'll be whatever I can provide, how I can make sure things are okay. I want to pay and make sure that all my debt, all my, no debt, Okay, I can make a house. No debt, though. And a plus, I'm going to start building up this stockpile of gold. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I, I want to have no debt, and I want to have this big reserve so that I could take care of whatever. And that's all wise. I'm not saying don't do those things. But when you shove it to the place where you become the provider, you become the source instead of the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that's out of order. And Jesus confronted that one um, head on in Matthew 6. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I recognized for me, I can't have enough stuff paid off. I can't have enough money in the bank to feel secure because I'm putting my hope in something that can't satisfy. God has to be my security, not my financial position. And I realized that's idolatry to me. 
You know, another one was our physical safety. I've told you before about the time somebody tried breaking in our house while we were sleeping in it, and I kind of reacted. I grabbed my 357 and I went outside looking for the person. <laughs> don't visit my house in the middle of the night, okay? <laughs> Knock on the door. <laughs> don't, don't try to visit us by climbing in through the bathroom window at one in the morning. <laughs> and after that, that really bothered me. If you've ever had that kind of a violation, I felt like, oh, I've got to protect my family. I wasn't scared. I was angry. I slept with a 357 loaded by my bed for a long time. And, um, and I just know at one point in a devotion, the Lord confronted me and he said, hey, Terry, about the gun. <laughs> it's fine, but do you want to be the one to protect your family or do you want me to do that? Because if you want to do it, I'll get out of your way. <laughs> wow. I mean, that was, the, that was the confrontation of the idol that the Lord said, you know. He said, hey, if you want to, the idol wasn't the gun. The idol was, Terry will be his, the, provide the security for the house. The gun, by the way, the gun got put away. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you to pray, and I want to ask you to take a real humble stance before God and say, God, what is it? Is, where have I been seduced in my soul and I just don't even see it? Once you identify the idol, this, this, the second thing scripture teaches us is to tear down our idols. And we're going to watch as God does not ask us to manage our idols, but to tear them down. He never says tolerate them. Instead, he's going to show us to obliterate them. Gone. We're talking about anything um, that's more important to, to you than the one true God. And that's what God told uh, Gideon in Judges 6 and these people were worshipping all these false idols and bowing down and God says tear down your father's altar to Baal the false god and cut down the Asherah pole beside it he says just rip those things down tear them down don't let anything stand between you and God and Gideon is driven by this divine calling he's not going to tolerate anything coming between him and God anymore. And you have to get that stance because if you just try to manage it, it will continue to seduce your soul. If you just try to manage it, you've got to tear it down. I had a conversation with this guy years ago who was just, you know, he was, I don't know if this was bragging or it was a testimony but he was talking about how, his, how the Lord had blessed him so much with money. And he had a lot of money. And he was so blessed. God has really blessed me. And I said, man, you must feel some typical preacher, okay? I said, you must feel some real responsibility to steward that money and to be generous and give to need. And he said, no, no, I'm just not into giving. I said, wait a second. You told me God has blessed you with this resource and you said you are not into giving. Yeah. You don't tithe? No. You don't give to offerings? No. Why not? Because I love money. And that's what he said to me. Because I love money. I love the way it makes me feel. I love the fact that I can do things that I want to do. I love the fact that if I have enough of it, I don't have to be accountable to anybody. I can just be whatever I want. I don't have to report to a boss. I love money. It's what he said. It's kind of a dream, really, right? Can't, can't you be real enough to admit with me that financial freedom from responsibility or accountability would be great? 
<laughs> See, it's seductive, isn't it? It really is. And I said to him, do you know what the word says about the love of money? He says, yeah, I don't care. I just love money. It was sincere and honest. And as shocking as that conversation was to me, it's a little bit my concern today. Because for you, it may not be riches and money. But you might say, hey, that's my thing. And I just really don't care. Because that's my thing. And I don't want that to happen to you. And things that are okay and good and healthy, taken out of balance, become dangerous to us. It's a line. There's a line. You know, it could be things like your kid's sports. You idolize your kid's kid's sports. It's like because at age three, if they're not on the traveling polo team, he won't be ready in time for the 2032 Olympics. (laughs) And so... You know, everything in life revolves around getting the kid to the polo practice and all your money goes into the right polo horse. I picked something that was, I'm sure you would relate to because I know there's a lot of polo here. <laughs> and my concern is that you'll say, I just really don't care because I like Joel, Johnny to play polo. Or for some of us, you know, maybe a little closer, it can be the career, you know. I'm giving to my family because if we have more money... Um, we'll be able to do more stuff. And I know my teenage daughters need me right now, but I just don't have time because, you know, I just don't care that my marriage is burning up because there's going to be more resource if we have this and my kids are in trouble, but, but I want more. And it's my idol and I love it. Or for some, it's the pursuit of material things. You know, and just look at our country. Just look at our nation and how much we consume and um, you know, if we want it and we can't afford it, we'll just borrow, but we're going to get it. Why? Because I want more. I want more. It's going to make me happy. I want more. We want more. We want more. We want more. We want more. Like, you really like it. You right. want more. And we want the car. And we want the home. And we want the trip. And we want the house. And we want the purse. And we want the shoes that match the purse. Do women still match their purse and their shoes? Or is it, oh, it's bad to be matchy-matchy. You would know this if you watch Project Runway. That's why I didn't know, right? And what we don't understand is that we've been seduced into worshiping a counterfeit, something that just won't satisfy us. And we wonder why our lives can be so full and that our hearts can be empty at the same time. That's why Jesus when he came across this guy who idolized his money and his things, he said to him, um, Mark 10, 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Did you catch that? Before he says a word, it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Do you understand God loves us? This isn't, you know, it's not that he wants to tear down our idols so he can have more attention. Hey, hey, me, me, look at me. It's not that. It's because... It's not that he doesn't want you to have nice things. God doesn't mind if you have nice things. It's okay. Get nice things. What he doesn't want is for those nice things to have you. It's a big difference. And Jesus is talking to this guy, and, you know, and the guy says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus says, follow the commands. And the guy says, well, I do all those things. And um, 
Here's Jesus. He says, one thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Jesus loved him enough to tell him the truth. He says, basically, I'm going to paraphrase now, you're settling for a counterfeit. Your soul has been seduced. That's what he's saying to him. Now, this guy, was, this guy that Jesus encountered was basically like the guy I told you about a while ago who loved his money. I love the money. And scripture says that this guy goes away sad because he had great wealth. He loved his idol and he didn't care. He was seduced and settling for a counterfeit. He was seduced. And I know I've heard people say, Jesus would never ask us to sell everything and, and, and give it all to the poor. And I agree. I, I agree with that. He wouldn't ask you to do that unless it was an idol to you. Have you ever had Jesus say, hey, I want you to give that away because it's an idol? He does that. He will do that. And I don't know what it looks like to you. But I'm, I know of families who've looked at their circumstances and said, okay, um, this is not for you. I'm not asking you to suggest that you do this, but I know that families that have said, you know what? This TV, and they haven't just deleted their cable subscription, they got rid of the TVs. That's their choice because in their circumstances, they saw what was going on, and so they moved that, moved and made that. I'm, I mean, I know of people... I know people who looked at their family and said, my career is killing my family. And so it's just not worth it to me. I'm going to make a change here. And they realized, they looked at their kids, that I have to be in my children's lives because I only get one choice, one chance to do this. So I don't know what would be for you, but if there is something that's more important in your soul than the one true God, tear it down. Just tear it down. Then what you do, now that you've created some space in your soul, is you fill your soul with God. And let me give you three verses. Psalm 84, verse 2 says, My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. It's my soul that yearns. It desires God. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Psalm 107, 9 says, For God satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. And Psalm 142 says, As the deer pants for streams of water... So my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Now, most of us don't use that kind of language. (laughs) You know, my soul yearns for you, God. My soul pants for the water for you. I mean, right? You don't talk like that normally to God. (laughs) I don't. I I mean, I don't think we use that kind of language. And if we use that yearning kind of language, sometimes it has to do with the things of the world. If using that kind of language towards God seems a little odd to you, other than culturally odd, I think it's time to really examine whether the possibility is that your soul has a little bit been poisoned by false idols. If you really don't ever yearn for the Lord, it's time to look that question over. Our soul should be crying out for God because he's the one who satisfies. If your life is empty... I encourage you to lower your expectations of what you think the world will give you. Because you were not created for this world. You just weren't. You were created for the kingdom of God and his glory. Your soul is never going to be satisfied by anything that this world has to offer. You just won't be. It's all temporary. And you have no idea how much um, I really hope with God that this is 
getting through. It's, you know, I don't mean to be condescending. I think this is a big deal to God because I just don't want us to get seduced. I don't want you and me to settle for anything. Um, I've been ending this, these messages with just a couple of minutes of quiet time, hopefully not so you can think about what's next after church, but instead so you can just wait upon the Lord and maybe he'll show you some things as a starting place. And I want to do that again. And um, so there's going to be some music playing in just a minute, just for a few minutes, uh, just not, not very long. And this is another one of the classical hymns that um, I chose. And it's just going to be music, no, no words. But if you heard the words, they'd say this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So would you just now take a minute and wait upon what the Lord maybe would speak to you as you rest your soul. Father, I pray that in your presence, the power of your Holy Spirit would penetrate our hearts with truth. And God, that we would be transformed. Everybody keep your eyes closed, please. I, I want to ask everybody here a question, and not, I'm not trying to settle all these problems in a 30-second prayer, but what I want to do is ask if you, between privately, between you and the Lord, if you will just make a commitment to take what God wants to say to you and extend it just beyond our time today. That I pray you'll make a commitment to talk this over with family and with friends and with who, your mentor, who people speak into your life, and you'll be honest and invite others to um, in, into your life to help, help with this self-examination of anything that you might be putting before God. And I know that's a big, you know, big request, and I'm telling you, though, that it's a big request because there are big consequences. God, I want to thank you so much for those that truly desire to put you ahead of all the things that seduce our souls. And God, for those who just aren't quite there yet, I pray that, that the emptiness of the things of this world would overwhelm them so that they would truly know the beauty of you filling our soul with the good things that you have, God, and who you are. I pray, Lord, for um, every prayer that's been prayed today in this room. I'm thinking earlier in the service when your children said, Lord, touch me, I need you. And I ask God for those, those needs to be fully met. I pray, Lord, for people present who um, need to know you. They need to know you. They don't need religion. They don't need to become a member of a church. They don't need to join a society. 
but they need to get relationship right between them and the creator of the heavens and the earth. Nobody knows what tomorrow may hold. There may not be another chance to get things right between them and you. I pray, Lord, for anybody in this room or anyone hearing this, this message who would, who would acknowledge in their soul, I, I've been playing around with the things of God, but I never really made relationship with God. The, word, the scriptures tell us that there is no way to heaven but by Jesus, that he came because we are incapable of living righteously. Somehow everybody falls short of righteousness. Everybody. God seeing that said, I'll make a way. And he let his son become the one who pays our price. We received communion from you earlier today, and that was an acknowledgement, Lord. When we receive that cracker, when we drink that juice, they're emblematic of us accepting you as our Savior. And for people that didn't understand that, but they want to make that relationship right, God, I just want to pause for a moment because I think the Lord could be speaking to people's hearts today. You don't know what tomorrow may hold. And if you don't resolve this with God, the alternative is just unthinkably bad. So those who would like to open their heart to the Lord and say, I want to have eternity in heaven. I want to make sure that I'm okay with God. And I want to know God. All you do is you open your heart to him. You open your heart and say, okay, I'm, I'm available to you, God. I want to follow you with my life. I want to trust you with my future. While eyes are closed, if you'd like to make that decision, would you just let me agree with you in prayer? I'm not going to single you out, but would you just look up at me and let me pray with you? Okay? Good. Okay? I want to make sure I don't miss anybody. Okay? Good. I've seen three. If I miss you, I acknowledge I saw three of you, but if there's any others. Okay, let's keep our eyes closed. Lord, thank you for the tenderness of your spirit, the way you go after retrieve us. I pray, Lord, that you would, you would now order the steps of these who have said, yes, I want to get right with you. Thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that, you that you came, that you laid down your life for our sins, that you will now stand before the Father and say, oh, no, that's Terry. He's with me. He's okay. And that, Lord, I will know life everlasting. And the same for these others. Now, Lord, put into their pathway, um, I pray, people who will help them grow in relationship with you. In Jesus' name. Amen.